hello and welcome to The Food Podcast, a show where personal stories are shared through the lens of food, and today through the lens of painting and cooking and the joy the two can bring with chef and artist Amy Funk. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Nova Scotia is a beautiful place, especially in late summer. I took myself on a date this past September down the South Shore on Highway 103 to Mahone Bay so I could drive the old road that wraps around the ocean and carries on into Lunenburg. Lunenburg is an old fishing town founded in 1753, where streets running parallel to the water are dotted with 18th and 19th century colonial wooden houses painted in bright colors because fishermen then painted their homes the same color as their boats, big five-sided overhanging dormer windows, and widow's walks, the flat platforms on the roof of houses designed so wives of fishermen could have the view out to sea, hoping, wishing, waiting for their husbands to come back safely. These streets are busy in the summer, There are many restaurants and people and hills to climb and ice creams to eat and art to see and photographs to take. But off to the side, just outside of the old town, there's an old red wooden warehouse, a tennis court, and a clearing on the waterside just the right size for a food truck. Amy's food truck is called Shore Lunch. It's a shaker-style kitchen on wheels, powered by the solar panels on its pale green roof. The outside is painted in a collage of foodstuffs. Lobster, mushrooms, radishes, and various other shapes and flavors. It's a cornucopia of green and purple and orange and teal and yellow. When I arrive, there are people mingling outside. Some carry their own ceramic bowls. Amy offers a discount if you do. I see jeans and Birkenstocks and overalls and babies and skirts and wide-brim hats and a handbag beaded with tiny seashells. All the people of Lunenburg. The chef is inside. I can see her curly hair and glasses through the window. Sushi bowls and burritos are on the menu. I order the bowl. I love the rice and the seaweed salad and the chickpeas and black sesame and shredded greens with miso mayo over top and a choice of yellowfin tuna or local organic bavette steak. The bowl is her palate and the food is a composition of flavor and color and texture. You can tell an artist is inside this kitchen. I pay for my bowl, a flat fee, the tip is built in, and pick up the flyer she has beside the wooden cutlery buckets in the window. It's an ad for Eat My Joy, an exhibition of her paintings at the Lunenburg Art Center. I was headed there after my bowl. The sun is shining, the air is salty, I have shore lunch in my hands and art in my future. I find a red Adirondack chair in the sun, on the wharf, in the center of town, and read Amy Funk's artist statement. I'll summarize it. Amy was born in British Columbia, the daughter of a photographer who was also a chef. She started painting as a small child, 
She studied fine arts in British Columbia and England and Italy before returning to Canada to complete her studies at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. She continued her practice in Manhattan and Berlin, then switched gears to study culinary arts in Vancouver. She's worked in the restaurant industry for 13 years, and all the while, Amy has painted and lately taught painting too. Following the artist's statement are the series notes from Amy herself. She says, Eat My Joy is a body of work that was created over the winter in early 2023, painted in a stone basement completely alone in a quiet environment with no one screaming mummy, no one singing their ABCs, and no one demanding my attention. It was glorious. With a strict schedule of 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Monday to Friday, after daycare drop-off and until pickup, Eat My Joy was born using mainly images taken from food photographer Roz Atkinson of Her Dark Materials in the UK. I walked through crisp snow in the quiet of Lunenburg and trudged down the stairs of the old stone building, turned the corner, and my painting table would come into view. Every single day, my heart exploded with glee as my body melted into my seat, starting where I had left off the day before. The giddiness of alone time, the four-year wait to paint with oils again, and the high contrast and deep lusciousness of the images and the feeling of brushstrokes against a panel was pure bliss. Eat My Joy, um, it really was, you know, I came up with that the name, the title for that exhibition, when I when I would walk down into my studio and my heart fluttered and I knew I was about to sit down for hours and hours all by myself in a quiet room and just get to paint. And the it's also um, a lot of what I teach in my class. It's the paint application. It's the it's mixing the color and looking at the image and then putting your brush down and just getting it dry in the right way and moving it around in the right way and getting the right volume and just like working it properly. I just felt so good doing it that I was just really hoping that I would pass that feeling along when you see my work. I really wanted the viewer to feel that like level of enjoyment um, that I was having in the making of it. I bought one of Amy's paintings that day, a pair of hands lovingly holding a wedge of green-skinned butternut squash cut from the rest of the vegetable, its center of vibrant orange, a pop of color against the darker tones. I know, can hands be painted lovingly? These ones are so detailed, so real, but gentle and calm. The calm of a woman who has time to cook, to prepare, all by herself. You can see her sleeve and the tiny, maybe six millimeter needles used to make those stitches. Again, someone who had time. Joy, for me, is a surge of emotion that almost always stems from a place of appreciation and gratitude. The images, as Amy states in her artist statement, were painted from photographs taken by Roz Atkinson of the Instagram account Her Dark Materials in the UK. I know her work, I've studied it, marveled at it, 
Her photographs are food scenes, still lifes, often with hands and ingredients, finding light despite the darkness that surrounds the subject. They look like Dutch paintings, and they're otherworldly. They're just like zoom-ins of her photographs. It's like one tiny moment. Her, her photos are so complex, and they're so depthful and emotional and high contrast and they're just everything. I just, I asked her if I could um, work from her photographs and she was all for it. And so I just, um, I just zoomed right in on one tiny moment in her photos. Roz Atkinson said in an interview a few years ago, My favorite sort of day is quite often when I find something beautiful to photograph, like a bunch of artichokes or some prawns or a patch of wild garlic, and then spending far too much time arranging them and taking photographs. I can completely lose myself for hours, which is such fun. Amy's painting is hanging in my kitchen, a place where I can get lost for hours, cooking, writing, and staring at the painting. The painting is my joy, within Amy's joy, within Roz's joy. Instagram has brought us all together, from a home in the Cotswolds, to Halifax, to a food truck on the South Shore. Amy uses Instagram mainly as a communication tool. During the summer season when the food truck is cooking, Amy often talks to camera and posts it on stories. She shares what's on the menu and where she'll be parked that day, Amy hitches her food truck to the back of her truck and pulls it to various spots throughout the summer, like music festivals and beaches and Lunenburg and Bridgewater. Or if she's closing down early because rain threatens to wash away the customers. Instagram is also a place for her to share her art and news about exhibitions and to reflect on life. This past summer, Amy posted a message that made me stop and think a little more about the woman who makes my favorite lunch. It read, If I'd been told as a super messed up 20-year-old that one day, when I was almost 40, that I would drive through a sunset in a huge badass truck, towing a beautiful food truck, all my own at the end of a successful day, passing the ocean on one side and a field of horses on the other, while the warm breeze brushed my face and the birds sang, I don't think I'd have believed it. So I asked Amy to tell me about that 20-year-old. Um, yeah, I was living with my drug dealer boyfriend. I was so anorexic that I couldn't keep a job because I couldn't stand up. Um, and yeah, I, for me, food equaled love. Um, and I, being raised by fairly difficult parents, um, I really didn't love myself at 20, so I denied myself food. So for me, food has always been, um, like a really complex issue in my life, and when I was little, you know, sitting at the counter in my dad's kitchen and watching him, he would cook for hours. He would cook for hours and like very complicated dishes. And 
Um, you know, he was one of those people who had their glasses down on the end of their nose and was stirring a sauce with his nose right above the pot um, and was just like really gentle with ingredients and um, fond memories of going down to Chinatown and smelling everything and going in and chatting with all of the the Asian grocers and um, buying really weird ingredients and then taking them home and figuring how, out how to use them. And, and so that was kind of food for me. And then when uh, my parents separated and I lived just with my mother um, and she kind of more or less completely cut my father out of my life, I ate overcooked meat and vegetables every single night of my life from eight until 17. Um, and then I figured that the only control I had in my life was over my own body. And since I disliked myself so much, I denied myself food completely, um, for years. Um, and, uh, I've been to two therapists that I've explained everything to, and um, I think most shock from friends that I talk to about all of this or therapists comes from the fact that nobody helped me, <laughs> and I got myself out of it completely alone. <laughs> um, food was always just like a really huge part of you know, my health or being healthy or unhealthy. One day earlier last summer, when I was taking myself out on a different date at Shore Lunch, I caught Amy at a quiet moment just before closing. We chatted about her food that day, the macadamia and white chocolate cookies with sea salt that she was selling. And Amy told me about the time she spent living in a tiny apartment in the East Village in Manhattan while her boyfriend was doing his master's in painting at Hunter College. This would have been a new boyfriend, long after the drug dealer boyfriend, in a healthier time, an inspired time, and the shift that took place. I would stay home during the day and paint, and then I would take a break at noon, and in my father's footsteps would go down to um, Chinatown, and buy some weird ingredients, touch some eels and some weird buckets, and then go back to our apartment. And I'd spend a little bit of time in the day cooking and making something super weird. I was really into making handmade dumplings at the time and dyeing the dough with different colors from like, like beets or like something natural. Um, and then I would paint for the rest of the day. And occasionally um, he would bring friends home from Hunter to see my paintings. And I just have these like really vivid memories of them coming in. And the intention of their visit was to like look at my paintings and kind of like give me people to talk to about my work. But I would always cook for them. Um, and the reaction that I think I was probably looking for from my paintings I got from my food. And it was the first time I really kind of, I was just so inspired by the ingredients there for the first time. And I felt like super ignited. Yeah. The reaction I was getting from my food was just like, 
their eyes were closed and they were making all the noises and they were just so affected by it. That's really what I was craving. And so I came back to Canada to go to culinary school. When writing a story, journalists are taught to ask the question, what is this story about? And then move in tighter and ask, what is this story really about? And then finally ask again, what is this story really, really, really about? I think Amy's story is really, really about finding food as beauty and acceptance and food as love and food as nourishment and love as nourishment. And there's more to it, of course, but beauty and love and nourishment are the base ingredients, ingredients we need to feed ourselves and ingredients we need in order to stand up and move through this life with moments of joy. So when I went to culinary school, I did it with the intention of what I wanted was I wanted like to hone some base culinary skills so that I could open a cafe in an art gallery. Because I figured after my experience in New York, I figured that if I could draw people in to look at my paintings with my food, (laughs) that I would successfully draw people in to my paintings because painting just isn't as popular as it once was, you know, painting used to be our form of entertainment. It used to be the rectangle that we looked at to make us feel feelings. And now we look at the rectangle phone. Now we have moving pictures to entertain us. Um, But painting used to be, you know, the thing that you would go to. So I figured I would draw people in with my food to and coax them into seeing my paintings in a gallery. So I moved to Toronto, started working in a restaurant, and I was just in the restaurant industry for three years after that. And it sucked me in and chewed me up and spat me out. It was, (laughs) I was like up till three in the morning. I was drinking almost every night. It was like, and I basically after work one night went out with my best friend. She was the bartender and I was a server. I'd like gone to serving because cooks don't make any money. And we were like, what are we doing with our lives? Like, And everything had just snowballed to a point where neither of us were where we wanted to be. And we were almost 30. And so we made a pact and we decided then and there that we we wanted to move somewhere else. So they moved to Nova Scotia, where her best friend was from. But let's get back to the early years of art school for a minute. When Amy was finishing her fine art degree at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, NASCAD. That was my first introduction to Nova Scotia. Um, and I hated it here (laughs) and I didn't know how anyone could live somewhere so boring. All I wanted was the big time. But she moved here anyway. It was 10 years ago. The culinary world was shifting here in Nova Scotia. Smaller restaurants were opening with a focus on local menus and local produce and more creativity and more autonomy. And within this time, Amy traveled down to Lunenburg and connected with Doug Bamford, a ceramic artist she knew from her NASCAD days. So when I came down to Lunenburg, um, I found out that all of the good parties were at Doug's house. Doug had a place right in um, downtown Lunenburg that he named the Fairbanks, and the Fairbanks was it. Everybody went there every weekend, went to a party at Fairbanks, fell in love with Lunenburg, 
Doug talked to a man named Paulo, who was opening up a restaurant called Lincoln Street Food the following year. He was kind of renovating it and getting ready to open it up. And um, Doug talked me up. Paulo interviewed me. Um, Paulo is hands down the most amazing chef I've ever worked for. He's so creative and he is so connected to his purveyors. And that has always been really important to me. Paulo's connection to local farmers um, is incredible. So I sat down with him and I really liked what he was doing. Lincoln Street Food is an open concept kitchen on Lincoln Street in Lunenburg. The seating runs down the left and the kitchen is on the right. I've eaten there many times and sat along the left side and watched the kitchen buzzing. This was before I knew Amy. I was probably eating scallops, seared, maybe a roasted radish salad with nettle vinaigrette or pan-seared haddock on black rice. You get the vibe. And for such a seafaring province, our seafood game was never that strong, nor was it really celebrated locally until lately. I would like to thank chefs like Paolo for changing that. Paolo needed someone to run front of house. Um, He wanted someone to be able to talk about the ingredients um, really well with um, the customers. Um, Paolo has um, like really incredible customers and really incredible loyalty. So his customers come back and they have like high expectations. And so, you know, I have my sommelier first step and we were a really good fit together. Um, He also wanted someone that could jump into the kitchen when necessary. Um, And he wanted someone running front of house who would be like fair with the kitchen. So I was coming from working in kitchens and being really disappointed with my paycheck (laughs) and how kitchens are treated. So when Paul and I sat down, we made a deal that tips would be split 50-50 front of house and back of house. So front of house would get 50% of the tips and, you know, like the head server would get the highest percentage and then um, down from there. And the same thing with the sous chef in the kitchen. They'd so The sous chef essentially gets as much tips as the front of, like the person that runs front of house. I mentioned before that Amy builds the tip directly into the price of her bowls at Shore Lunch. I love that. It's so clear. Brene Brown taught me that clarity is kindness, and it's become our family motto. And I think the philosophy applies here as well. I think it's coming from the art world and pricing is, it's anybody's game. Like there's no rhyme or reason to pricing something that you've made from scratch with your own two hands, you know. Um, with, with food, I do food costing. So when I make a bowl, I, you know, add up how much each little ingredient cost that's in that bowl, plus the bowl itself. And then I, I make that 33% of the total cost. Kyle, my partner, is very, very, very level-headed and is a huge part of my business <laughs> and does all the behind-the-scenes everything, <laughs> including my taxes. But we sat down, and I was like, okay, I hate tips. I hate the tipping system. It has a horrible origin rooted in racism and, and classism. And, like, just it's just awful. If you read about it, it's just a nightmare. Um, and the fact that it still exists seems so archaic to me that uh, I I would say I have no words, but I have tons of words. <laughs> but essentially, I sat down and I was like, OK, I don't want a tipping system. But technically, when you pay an employee, it would come out of overhead 
but part of it comes out of the tip system. So how do I adjust the price of my food so that I can incorporate this somehow? But kind of what you don't see is that when you go out for food and you see like, oh, it's $15, really it's $15 plus 30% because tax is 15% and then tipping is another 15 or so percent. So really it's like another 35% or something on top of this $15 lunch that you're paying and you're paying so much more. It's the same for coffee. It's the same for everything. So a lot of businesses would say, I can't include the tip into the price because I already charge $5 for a latte, but people are already paying whether they want to or not, they're paying tax and tip. So what I did, I did my food costing. I priced out the bowl and then I added 18%. So my bowl looks more expensive, but it's because I've already added the tip for you, essentially. For a deeper dive into the history of the tipping system in America, take a look at Michelle Alexander's New York Times piece called Tipping is a Legacy of Slavery. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Meanwhile, I've skipped over some of the details of Amy's story with this tipping story, like how the painting that I bought had the rate per hour listed in the price, which again, I thought was so clear, and how Amy went from Lincoln Street to owning her own food truck. The answer has to do with a baby and the pandemic and needing a flexible job. And I also skipped over a first date at a Halloween dance at the Broad Cove Town Hall. So bringing someone to Broad Cove Hall for a Halloween dance on a first date in a rainstorm is very comedic. (laughs) Um, It's a tiny little hall on the side of the ocean. I think the building's probably 200 years old. And going to a Halloween dance party uh, in a tiny little building in Broad Cove, um, I think there were maybe 30 people there. Yeah, it's, it's a very eccentric outing, for sure. I reminded Amy that once she wanted out of Nova Scotia, she wanted the big time. I wanted the big time, and then I ended up meeting the love of my life at Broad Cove Hall. The two were long distance for a while. Kyle is a filmmaker, which took him back to Nova Scotia and then away again. And then Amy got pregnant. I told him, like, I'm going to keep it. Um, You know, are you in or are you out? And he was in, so... Um, He came back to visit every couple months while I was pregnant, and then he moved in two weeks before Cece was born, Um, and he has been here ever since. (laughs) So we fell in love as we had a newborn. Yeah, it's it's been quite a roller coaster, but um, I think there's nobody I'd rather do it with, so that was very lucky. So it's a don't try this at home kind of experiment. It's all so far from the woman who was 20 and suffering. I asked Amy how she got through that time. My sense of like determination and my drive that's inside myself. I have really high expectations for myself, like really, really, really horribly high. Um, and I think 
maybe self-expectation and like the drive to actually like accomplish and everything is very high in me. And I think it probably just conquered my (laughs) self-loathing. I think it probably conquered anything negative. It just, it's a good question. My therapist hasn't even asked me that question yet. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it was probably just, even just knowing what I'm capable of, maybe. I think part of my high expectation partially comes from just knowing what I'm capable of. I do see, and I'm able to say, I'm going to turn 40 in a month. I have a lot of new boundaries in my life, and I also have a lot of new respect for myself. And I think I'm finally able to say things like, I know that I'm a, I've been given like pretty lovely gifts in life, and I'm not ashamed to admit it anymore. <laughs> um, and I know, I, I think I'm a very talented painter and I, and I think I, I do bring lovely things to the table culinary wise. Um, I think there's literally tens of thousands of better chefs than I am. I, I think I'm very spontaneous with my food. Um, and I think I put a lot of like passion and love into the things that I create. And I care a lot about the ingredients and, you know, each bowl is like its own composition. And I think there's things that I bring to my business that help me be successful, regardless of how talented I am as a chef. But painting wise, you know, I've been I've been painting since I was five and I've worked really, really, really hard at it. Yeah, I think there was something inside me that just like knew that I needed to kick my own butt back into gear and get get these things rolling. I've pieced together that Amy has created a chosen family and community for herself here in Nova Scotia. Her daughter's adopted grandpa is Doug Bamford. Her friends are her neighbors and colleagues. Her partner is the guy who built Shore Lunch, solar panels and all. And she teaches painting at the Lunenburg Arts Centre, a very special place right in the downtown of Lunenburg. I would be there right now, taking Amy's class, if the highway to get there this time of year wasn't so treacherous. But I would want one of her bowls at the end of the class, or at least a cookie. As like a full circle, I think I really did fulfill my prophecy (laughs) when I went to culinary school because I wanted to have an art gallery where I made like a cafe where I could bring people in with my food to see my art. And now I have this platform where I bring people in to eat my food and they end up going to see my art show. (laughs) So I actually did it. It just took 15 years. (laughs) Amy Funk. Thank you for feeding us with your story and your words and your art and your food and going in tightly so we can see all the details. Look for Shore Lunch next summer along the South Shore and tune in on Instagram at Shore Lunch for all her latest news. Or send Amy a DM if you're looking for commissions. Consider signing up for my newsletter. You can find it at www.lindsaycameronwilson.ca 
This series is edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme song, One More Night, is by Jen Grant. And if you'd like to support the show, please rate and review The Food Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson.